Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. If you're visiting this morning, we are currently studying the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of Jesus' most epic teachings. And one of the amazing parts about the sermon is how tight it is, how um, neatly it's woven together. Every section builds upon the next section. And last week, we began kind of what is the middle part of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6, and this just continues on what we talked about last week. So the beginning of chapter 6 was all about religious piety. Remember, Jesus was talking last week about prayer and almsgiving, charity. He talked about fasting. This week is all about practical life, so possessions, goals, ambitions. Last week, we talked about the Father's eyes and how we know that He sees us. This week, Jesus asks us what's in our eyes. Last week, we thought about how we all instinctively long to be noticed, how we're built that way. And this is about how we all instinctively treasure something. So it's about how we're built to cherish something above all else and how what we choose to treasure is one of the most significant decisions you'll make in your life. And Jesus will show us that there's a wise choice and there is a foolish choice. And he wants us to lead us into that. So would you pray with me before we dive into this? Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that you are a God of treasure. Lord, your great wealth in heaven and on earth, Lord, is all yours. And we know, Heavenly Father, that Jesus has brought that treasure down to earth to make it accessible to us. Lord, would you now, in the ministry of your Holy Spirit, shine a light on the riches of heaven in a way that each of us needs to hear individually, Lord. Would you let them sparkle and dazzle before us this morning in a way that they would draw our heart from being tethered to things which ultimately do not satisfy and do not deliver us. We come to your word, Lord, with expectant hearts. We expect you to work in this room this morning. We're open to it. And all God's people said in agreement. Amen. So let's allow Jesus to define the terms real quick. What's a treasure? Um, You'll notice in your sermon page, I gave you an outline. It looks intense because there's nine blanks. But it's really just three points, and there's three different parts to each point. Uh, So if you're a note taker, uh, I have all this outlined. What is a treasure? There's three blanks for that in your sermon outline. First, your treasure is where your heart is. Your treasure is where your heart is. Flip to your gospel reading with me. Your Bible or in your bulletin. Verse 21 says, according to Jesus, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your treasure in life is what captures you. It's what you value above all else. Let me give you two examples. The first is about things. The second is about people. Um, When I was in college, I had a car that I really, really loved. I adored this car, so much so that I named it, and its name was Space Wolf. Uh, Space Wolf was my favorite car I've ever owned or I think will ever own. But I was also in college, and I was learning so much about life and the world and history and God and all of it. I poured into this little black moleskin journal, and I took it everywhere with me. 
And one time, I had parked my car and left my journal in my car. And I went to go do something, and when I came back out, my car was gone. And for a split second, I thought, it didn't actually get stolen, but for a split second, I thought that it got stolen. But my gut reaction was, <gasps> my journal. It was fascinating. My heart was with my journal more than my car. That was where my treasure was. Let me give you another example. This one's about people. Uh, when I lived in Chicago, my brother and I had tickets to go see Lucinda Williams in concert, who, uh, if you're a fan, she's basically an alt-country rock star legend, and I adore Lucinda Williams, and I was extremely excited to go see her in concert. But then my parents uh, came into town kind of unexpectedly on the same night that I was supposed to go see Lucinda Williams. And we didn't go to the concert. We went out to eat with my parents, and we chose to. Lucinda had a portion of my heart, <laughs> but my heart was with my parents. I valued them over Lucinda Williams. If you put, if you were given a bracket, like a, like a March Madness bracket, for those of you who don't know what that is, when college basketball teams play each other, you put them in a bracket and whoever wins gets to the middle. If you had a bracket and you put everything you loved in your life on the outside, you could play the whole thing out and something would win. Lucinda Williams versus my parents, my parents versus something else, notebook, car, think of all the different things. Whatever wins and gets to the top, that's your treasure. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Second, taking from Jesus, your treasure is, here's your second blank, your treasure is what you look at. So your treasure is where your heart is. Second, your treasure is what you look at. We get this from the second little section Jesus gives in verses 22 to 23. Right after Jesus talks about your heart and treasure, he immediately follows it up with, the eye is the lamp of the body. What your treasure is you look at, you focus on, you constantly behold. Our big tech big brother actually can help you out here because whatever you look at on the internet the tech people know, and they advertise to you accordingly, right? That's why you can like say to your roommate, like, I'm thinking about getting some new shoes. And then you get online, and it's like tons of shoe ads. You're like, what? How did this happen? They're watching. So what is constantly being putting in front of you in your YouTube video feed or your social media feed? What's being advertised to you? Where your heart is, your eyes follow. Randy, if I can pick on our church warden this morning, Randy has an amazing motorcycle on his laptop that we were looking at this morning. I love motorcycles too, because we both treasure motorcycles. It's what you look at. And the Bible teaches that what you constantly look at, you become like. Did you notice that in the psalm today that we all read together? You worship an idol, you become like the idol. Jesus reinforces that concept in verses 22 and 23. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So what you treasure you look at and what you look at shapes you. Third, here's your third blank. Your treasure is what you serve. Your treasure is what you serve. In Jesus' last little section here, he uses the metaphor of a master-slave relationship. Verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters. And implied by his teaching is that ultimately you are bound to your treasure. You'll serve it. Your energy, your time, your attention, your life will go into it. Think about your treasure bracket. The other things are going to bow down to the other things in there, right? Lucinda Williams bowed down to my parents. 
We ate the money of the concert. It was a conscious decision. Your treasure is your master, and you can only have one. Now, just a couple things here before we move on. Notice he doesn't say some of you will have treasure. Some of you, if you're codependent and you have to like, be obsessed with something, you'll have one. No, he, he assumes that you're going to have one whether you like it or not. That's why Jesus isn't interested in canceling this desire out in you. This is really fascinating. He's not saying, I want you to quit worrying about fixing your eyes on something and having your heart desire something above all else. He's not trying to get rid of that. Rather, he wants to help you point it in the right direction. He built you that way. And this separates Jesus' teaching from a lot out there. So our culture would tell you, you pick your treasure, whatever it is, you do you, and that's great. But Jesus would disagree because he'll teach us that there are certain things that you treasure to your peril. It also is different than Buddhist teaching. Um, Buddhist teaching understands that being attached in heart and eyes and will to something makes you unstable and it makes you vulnerable. And so the Buddhist teaching is about detachment. But Jesus would disagree. He wants to take your heart and your eyes and your will and he wants to set them loose. But he wants you to find a treasure that is worthy of your life. And to help you make the decision, he's going to put two things in front of you in this passage. What are the two things? Treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. And as we heard, he's going to strongly exhort you to choose one. So what we're going to do for the rest of our time is look at what he says about each of these uh, and then think about our decision. Okay, let's begin with treasures on earth. What do we mean when we say treasures on earth? When we talk about treasures on earth, we're absolutely talking about money and possessions. No doubt about it. That is the center of the bullseye with what Jesus is talking about here. But it's clear from his whole discourse that it's, he's talking to, about more than just money. So it could be any kind of thing. Again, my journal beat out, my, beat out Space Wolf. So we're not just talking about your bank account necessarily. It could be a type of life. It could be a type of career. It could be a type of relationship or family. Anything that wins your treasure March Madness bracket. So let's look at what Jesus says about these. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Here's your first blank for treasures on earth. Treasures on earth leads to insecurity. Treasure on earth leads to insecurity. Jesus says, don't set your heart on any type of treasure on earth because it's vulnerable. It's insecure. To put it bluntly, at some point, it will be gone. And Jesus' three quick examples are very specific and very clever. So a moth represents nature. Rust represents time. And thieves represent evil. And nothing on earth is safe from nature and the changes of this world a moth can eat your treasures, for instance. Rust represents time, all of that. No one has escaped from that. So think about a car. You could, like Caitlin, our ministry director, with a car, hit a deer That's, and total your car, and then it's gone. That happened last year when Caitlin was coming back from our, what, Trinity dance? See? Nobody's safe from deer in, in South Wisconsin, okay? <laughs> it could grow old and literally rust and fall apart, or someone could steal your car. But think about other things. Careers are the same way. Money is the same way. Even relationships 
people are the same way. None of us are invincible before time and our mortality and our own sinfulness. Nobody's safe from that. Nothing on earth is. So here's the kicker. Because all earthly things are insecure and vulnerable, to treasure something like that is to be insecure and vulnerable. Let me say that again. Because earthly things are insecure and vulnerable, if they are your treasure, you will be insecure and vulnerable. If your most precious treasure, the thing that ultimately has that place in your heart, is insecure, you'll be insecure. You will live in fear while you have it, and you will be full of despair when you lose it. It's interesting. A rich person and a poor person who both have their heart set on riches are equally as insecure. Because the same thing, whether they have it or they don't have it, is vulnerable. Treasure on earth leads to insecurity. Second, treasures on earth leads to darkness. That's your second blank, darkness. This comes from verse 22 and 23. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. This is such an amazing truth from Jesus, just about how you look at things. And I think this applies to so much. If you look at dark things, it kind of fills you with darkness. Your eyes, the lamp of your body. But in our context, I think a, a way that we could summarize this is like this. You get your treasure right, and everything else falls into place. You get, you, you get your treasure wrong, and everything else will bend to its wrongness. A scholar I was reading on this this week rephrases this phrase from Jesus like this. The lamp of one's life is one's goal. So he kind of casts it in terms of what's your ambition or what's your goal. If your goal is right, your whole life will be luminous. But if your goal is wrong, your whole life will be darkness. I'll read that again. The lamp of one's life is one's goal. What's driving everything? If your goal is right, your whole life will be luminous. But if your goal is wrong, your whole life will be darkness. Um, because I was thinking about this this week, Marissa and I played this game this weekend where we were like, okay, what's your best vain life? If you could like think of like getting everything you want in this world, like what do you do? What does it look like? And we were like, oh, I would wear these types of clothes. I would buy these types of cars. My vacations would look like this and I would Instagram it and it would be amazing and you know, like... It was awesome. For a second, we were like, oh gosh, that sounds so good. I wish we could live life like that. But in a split second, we realized if we did that, if we wanted to, everything else in our life would start bending to that greed and that vanity. And it took about a minute, right, Marissa, for us to be like, that sounds awful. That sounds so gross. You could tell if I just reached out for it, it would immediately turn to ash in my mouth. Treasure, leads to treasure on earth leads to darkness. If your goal is right, your life is luminous. If it's wrong, everything twists and contorts to that vanity. But this leads to the most sinister thing, which comes in Jesus' last little section. Here's your last blank for, our, for treasures on earth. Treasure on earth leads to idolatry. Treasure on earth leads to idolatry. Verse 24, nobody can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. And that's really important that he uses love and hate right there. 
When Jesus talks about discipleship, he's always going to talk about love of the world, hatred of the world, loving the cross, that kind of dynamic. So that's what he's talking about here. He'll either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Remember, your treasure is what you serve. And when something earthly grips your heart and your eyes and your will, it gets your worship. And the scary truth is, what you treasure, you eventually worship. And when you worship something earthly, that is called idolatry. Idolatry happens when we take something in God's good creation and set our eyes and our hearts on it and begin to serve it and worship it, looking to it for our fulfillment and our salvation. An idol can be made out of anything, but the result is always the same. We serve the idol, we go after it, and it takes and takes and takes, but in the end, it cannot deliver you or satisfy you. Um, Ian read our reading from Ezekiel this morning, which was pretty intense. I don't know if you guys listened to that, but that was an extreme passage from Ezekiel. Um, But it is this terrifying and profound example of idolatry. Flip with me to your Ezekiel reading real quick, if you have your bulletin out. This is all about the people of Israel during a time when they had given themselves over to idolatry and they're experiencing the consequences of their choices. But what's fascinating is how Ezekiel outlines the process of idolatry in this passage. Look at verse 20 in Ezekiel 7. His beautiful ornament they use for pride. His is talking about God. So this is something that God blessed his people with. It's a gift that he gave to the people, and it says they used it for pride. And then what happened with it? And they made their abominable images and their detestable things out of it. So first, it's a gift. Then it becomes vain. They start to set their eyes on it, and then it becomes an idol. And in the day of judgment, they looked to their silver and gold for their deliverance and satisfaction. This is the part that really gets me. The idol could do nothing. Um, Look at verse 19. They cast their silver into the streets and their gold is like an unclean thing. It's almost like they're like throwing it at their problems to to save them. Their silver and gold are not able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. Then they try to eat it. They cannot satisfy their hunger or fill their stomachs with it for it was a stumbling block for their iniquity. So I feel like that's a metaphor for what happens when ultimately we worship an idol and we look to it and then we get nothing back. It's dumb, it's mute, it doesn't care. This is why Jesus says, don't lay up your treasures on earth. It leads to insecurity, darkness, and idolatry. But now let's think about the good option, laying up treasure in heaven. What do we mean when we say treasure in heaven? That can get, uh, if you're new to Christianity or if you're interested in these things, that can be a very like Christian-easy sounding type word. This is setting your heart and your eyes and your will on the Lord and on the kingdom of God instead of the things of this world. So Colossians 3 says this, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And something the Bible consistently teaches is that in Jesus, there are riches, um, you notice that in our First Timothy reading. It talks about how God is rich. And St. Paul uses this analogy over and over again that Jesus has come with all the riches of heaven. 
riches of his glory and grace, riches of our inheritance in him, the riches of love, and that he has come to lavish that wealth upon us. So there's wealth in heaven, and if it's pursued and desired, it truly does lift the heart. It has the same effect on you as riches on earth. I love how 1 Timothy says, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on our God who richly provides. So it's saying redirect your love for wealth, basically. Jesus says, that's what you want to treasure. Now, why? Uh, You might be able to guess what these blanks are, but here's the first one. Treasure in heaven leads to security. It leads to security. Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Treasure on earth, remember, is vulnerable to time and mortality and evil. It's insecure. Treasure in heaven is invincible. Can't be touched. Stock market crash cannot do anything to it. Political upheaval, evil can't touch it. It's never going to rust away. It's utterly secure. Um, some of our men had a Bible study, gosh, like a year ago, a year and a half ago, where we studied 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1 puts it like this. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And he goes on to say, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. And just as treasuring something that's vulnerable makes you vulnerable, so treasuring something that is secure makes you what? Secure. Utterly grounded and invincible. You become impervious to, I love one of our prayers, the changes and chances of this world. Ha. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Um, Many of us are reading right now The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer because he wrote, a lot of it is about the Sermon on the Mount. And if you're not familiar with him, he's this amazing uh, German saint in the early 20th century who was imprisoned and ultimately executed by the Nazis. And um, when he was in prison, he wrote all these letters to his friend, and you can read it in a book called Letters and Papers in Prison, and I highly recommend it. Uh, It is one of my favorite kind of spiritual books out there. Um, But my favorite part about it is watching this man who is suffering profoundly cling to his treasure in heaven. The Nazis took everything from him, literally. They took his career, they took his family, they took his material wealth, they took away his comfort, they crushed his body, and they ultimately took his life. But they could never take away his treasure. And you see that coming through as he's writing and living in prison, that which his eyes and his heart and his will were attached to, the Nazis could not even get close to. Yes, he suffered emotionally, physically, in all the ways. His suffering was immense. But no, he was not like the men and women in Ezekiel. He was the utter opposite. Up until his very death, the gospel was his food. There was this unquenching light in his life. His life was still luminous. They couldn't put out his light. And though, like Christ, he ultimately was killed, he no doubt received his inheritance, right? 
which remained undefiled. And on the last day, he will not be put to shame. Hallelujah. Most of us will probably never be in a situation like that where we're in a fascist prison leading to our execution, maybe. But most of us will probably not. But yet this is still so crucial. It's just as practical for each one of us. If your heart is bound up in the riches of the kingdom of God, in the riches of Jesus, then you have nothing to fear. Can we just stop for a second and think about what that actually means? If your heart is bound up in the riches of Jesus, nothing can touch you. I love, there's a psalm that says, we will not fear though the earth gives way and the mountains crash into the sea. That's like the greatest, seems like the greatest overstatement ever. I literally am not going to be afraid if that mountain collapses and falls into the sea. I still have nothing to fear. Last week, um, we talked about, it was deeply impactful for me, the idea that if you know that the Father, the Heavenly Father is looking at you, then you do not need to perform before anybody. That is revolutionary. That is absolutely revolutionary. And this is utterly revolutionary. If your treasure, if what ultimately grips your heart can never be touched and is unfading and undefiled, you have nothing to fear. No matter what happens to the stock market, to your family, to America, amen? You have nothing to fear. Guess what next week's about? If, if you know the Father sees you, and if you know your treasure is unstained, you have nothing to worry about. What Jesus follows this up with next week. So don't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be anxious. Man, Jesus is going for your heart right here. And if you'll let him speak into it, it truly is utterly revolutionary. Second, treasure in heaven leads to light. Where treasure on earth leads to darkness, treasure in heaven leads to light. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Remember the paraphrase, the lamp of one's life is one's goal. If your goal is right, your whole light will be luminous. Essentially, if your eyes are set on the right thing that actually does offer the light of life, then it lights up everything else. Pursuing your best vain life, like Marissa and I's joke thought process, um, turns to ash in your mouth. After a while, you feel like, I'm just, this is so vain. You feel ugly and dirty when you pursue it. But this treasure, this is amazing, the treasure of heaven, when it's your ambition and your goal, it cleans you. It cleanses your life. It pours light into everything else. Music sounds sweeter. Flowers have more beautiful color. People become more lovely and lovable to you when you're pursuing treasure in heaven. It has the utter opposite effect. You'd think that pursuing what you want would make your life full of light, but it doesn't. Setting your heart on the riches of heaven is what gives you life and light. But last and most importantly, here's your last blank. I know there's a lot of blanks, but they all kind of go together, right? What's the opposite of idolatry? Worship, yes, but treasure in heaven leads to love. Treasure in heaven leads to love. 
When you lay up your treasure in heaven, you take your heart and your eyes and your will and you channel them towards God. And when you do, it leads you not to an idolatrous, anti-human force in your life, but to a God who is looking back at you and who treasures you back. This is the part that really got me this week. The truth is, in our sinfulness, all of us have treasured things on earth. This is the essence of the fall of humanity. We turn inward. We worship creation instead of the creator. We follow our best vain life now instead of setting our heart on God. But the good news of Jesus is that even so, when you were in that state, God treasured you. He wanted you. He desired you. And he came for you. I believe really strongly that all the great narratives and dramas and stories in the world ultimately go back to the fountain of the story of Jesus. And one of the great stories uh, is the quest for treasure. So somebody give me a great story about somebody going to search for treasure. Who's brave? National treasure. Gilgamesh? (laughs) Come utterly different answers. That's the best. Uh, That covers the full spectrum. I don't need to give any other examples. Somebody sets out to find something that they so desire and they give up all their riches to find it, whether it's Nicolas Cage or the ancient Near East. (laughs) Guess what God calls his people all throughout the Old Testament? His treasured possession. When he takes his people out of Exodus, that's literally what he says. I brought you out to be my treasured possession. And guess what the New Testament refers to the church as? Titus says that Jesus died on the cross in order to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Here's an image for the cross this week. It's Jesus with an uncut, unpolished gem. And the work of the cross is him polishing and cutting and shining his possession. That's what he does to the church. That's what he's doing to us right now. Ah. Long before you heard this teaching of Jesus asking you to treasure it, he treasured you. You have to get that right. He didn't grasp the riches of heaven. He became poor. He stepped into the insecurity and suffering of what? Nature, mortality, time, evil, in order to possess his precious treasure, which he had set his heart upon, which is us. So listen, Jesus' advice here is not self-help. This is really significant. This is not him saying, if you want to be most happy, then do this. It's not like somebody's figured out a, a path to your own happiness. When Jesus says to lay on your heart and eyes up in heaven, it's a lover speaking to his beloved. The treasuring is a two-way street. Idols don't treasure you back. Marissa and I always talk about our greatest vices. They don't love you back. Think about the people in Ezekiel trying to like, get their starving away by eating their money. But heaven does. Your father sees you. Jesus chose you for his possession. So to treasure heaven, to lay up your treasures in heaven, is to be led into love. Amen. 
In the end, Jesus boils everything down to a simple choice. This is what he's doing here. He's trying to help you make a good choice. You're going to treasure something. You don't get the option to not do it. So let's get that out of the way. And it's going to be earthly or it's going to be in heaven. And Jesus is very clear at the end, which is why he ends the sections the way he does. You cannot treasure both. It seems like I could do both, but you cannot. You cannot serve two masters. Something eventually wins your treasure March Madness bracket. Sometimes we try to get around this by baptizing earthly desires in order to be a heavenly one. Um, this is the part of us that says, I want to make tons of money so I can support ministry. Um, that may be true, but be careful. More often than not, mammon, money is driving the train. Um, when I was younger, I wanted to be a musician. Sometimes I still do. Uh, I loved Jesus and I wanted to serve people, but I also wanted to be a rock star. And my logic was the best way that I can serve the kingdom is by becoming a super famous rock star first. And that will give me a platform from which then I can, you know, do good stuff. And praise God, I didn't become a rock star because vanity was driving that train, not the gospel. This is like in Lord of the Rings. You, you want to use the ring for good. And what does everybody say? You can't do it. As soon as you reach out for it, it'll turn your desires into evil. So God may bless you with lots of money or earthly treasure of some kind. The thing that you most want, you might get. It'd be like Space Wolf eventually got totaled is the sad story of that. And a snowy day. And I wept as it like was hauled off to be impounded and chopped for scraps. This would be like if I got Space Wolf back or something. God might give you the thing you most desire. That could happen. Praise God. And just speaking of wealth, God does use wealth to fund ministry and to alleviate the suffering of the poor. Praise God. Jesus met loads of folks who were wealthy and full of faith. Yet even so, beware. Wealth is dangerous. To have it is a liability. It is a handicap in the kingdom of God. That's why our reading in 1 Timothy says, be rich in good works to those who are wealthy. Set your heart, not on your riches, but on the God who richly provides. So if you're going to treasure something, whether you like it or not, and if you can't have more than one, then Jesus finishes this and he kind of, he puts the onus back on you. What is it? What's your treasure? Where are you currently laying it up? Where are you storing it? Where's your heart? What gets you in your quiet moments? Where's the lamp of your eyes? What are you looking at? Who's your master? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves can never break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.